Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I was saying I didn't grow up going to church every Sunday of my life. I have seasons. I remember um, growing up as a child uh, where we would go for extended periods to church, but, but never regular attenders. So because of that, there was a lot of things that were done in church, um, especially on special occasions, holidays, the, the ceremonies and rituals that were celebrated that really were rather confusing to me. For example, I used to love going uh, on Christmas and Easter and even Palm Sunday uh, to my grandparents' church. They were Roman Catholics. And so I thought it was so fun and so strange, all the things that would happen in a Roman Catholic church. You know, the smokes and the incense, the strange singing. Um, My favorite was the holy water. I would walk into the church and in the sanctuary, in this, uh, before the sanctuary in this Roman Catholic church was a fountain. And so I used to love, because I saw all these other people doing it, to go up to the fountain and to dip my hand in the fountain and do the sign of the cross, and then dip it again and do the sign of the cross, and then dip it again and do it again. And then as soon as we got into the church, they had them all along the sides of the church. They had little stations of them. So I'd walk down, and there's one, and I'd dip my hand, and I'd do it again. And then the next one, I'd dip my hand, and I'd do it again. And then by the time we got to the benches, we got to the benches, then I'd have to bow before I got on the bench. That was really cool. And then they had the thing that I could lay down and kneel on it and and got to pray. I didn't, wasn't praying, but I, I looked like I was. So anyways, I had no idea. I was probably four or five at the time. I look back on that with fond memories, thinking it was so neat. Really didn't understand what it was, but thought it was really neat to do it. So today is Palm Sunday. And like I said, it wasn't until I became a Christian um, while I was in college and started attending church regularly, reading my Bible, hanging out, Um, spending time with other Christians and learning, that I realized that a day like Palm Sunday is celebrating the time when Jesus first entered the week before, uh, or entered um, the week of the Passover celebration, and spent time in Jerusalem up to the end when he was ultimately crucified, dying on the cross for the sins of all mankind, and then three days later rising from the dead. And I always still wondered, though, and it wasn't until I really spent some time studying Why do we choose palms for the day that Jesus entered into the city? Like why, I mean, I know it's in the storyline, but why of all things do we celebrate and do we emphasize the palms? What's so special about the palms? And one of the things that's that's interesting is obviously the, the significance of Palm Sunday. And as it's already been talked about today, even just in our worship time, The significance of Palm Sunday is that it's the week before Jesus heads to the cross to die. That he is heading into the city and he's presenting himself in a special way. And although we're not going to talk about it today, I would recommend uh, even last year's sermon on the podcast. You can can look up a podcast and you can look look up Walt's sermon last year. To the day Jesus coming in was fulfillment of prophecy. And we're not going to talk in detail about that today. We're going to emphasize the palms instead. But that was a really significant moment. So the palms. What in the world are these palms all about? I, I want to I wanna talk through them. I want to think about them. And I hope by the end of this, you'll see that the palms are actually very significant, although probably not significant 
in the classic religious sense that you might think of. There's certainly religious um, importance associated with them, uh, but today I think there's something much more personal for us to consider in light of that. So to do that, we're going to go to John chapter 12. So while I keep talking, why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, and we'll get into our text. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Um, as we have just said, this is, this is Jesus he, uh, on his way into, for the first time, on, on, we typically understand it to be Sunday, and it most likely was Sunday when he was coming into the city, first day of the week. Uh, he had been staying at Bethany, he's going to stay at Bethany, which is a town uh, next to Jerusalem, uh, for, uh, for the remainder of the week until he's, he's betrayed um, and then ultimately uh, crucified. So he's headed into the city, uh, and we pick up in verse 12, and it says the next day, so that's Sunday, a great multitude that had come to the feast. So, so it's, the, it's the celebration of Passover. So every day for the next week, um, in the Jewish calendar at this time, people made pilgrimage. Uh, they, they traveled from all over the greater Palestinian region and even beyond, and had come to Jerusalem, uh, and they were preparing for um, the Passover celebration that was going to happen at the end of the week. And so the city is a bustle with people that normally would not be there. And we have to understand, although it's not in this text, but if we read through the Synoptic, the synoptic Gospels and we read up to this point uh, in John's Gospel, what we understand is that Jesus, wherever Jesus went, Jesus brought a huge crowd. And at this point, it's three and a half or so years into Jesus' public ministry, and so he has quite a name for himself at this point. And there is an incredible bustle about Jesus happening right now. And so you, I imagine, if you really think about it, because before Jesus even gets there, the people know he's coming, that there was probably, as Jesus would travel around wherever he was going, there would not only be people that would travel with Jesus, but there would be people who would kind of be runners ahead of Jesus. And they would go ahead of him and say, hey, hey, go to the next town. Jesus is on his way. Jesus is on his way. And, he would and, and then that would create this bustle about it. And so here in Jerusalem, at this point, the people knew Jesus was coming before he ever got the city. And notice what the text says next. So when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees. Now, the other synoptic gospels say that they... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, by the way, those are the synoptic gospels. They say that the people took the palm branches and began waving them. And then as Jesus would come, they would begin laying them down before Jesus' feet. Some of them would keep waving them, and some of them would lay them down at the feet of Jesus before he walked onto the ground. And they would cover the ground with the palms and with their garments. So, the palms, why were they waving the palms? For about 200 years up to, uh, to before that point, uh, the palms had been, had been a, a sign, symbolic, especially in the Roman Empire, of victory. So when a ruling uh, or, a, or a victorious army and its general returned to their city, or even traveling through another city, the people would celebrate their victory by waving palm branches, which are readily available throughout especially the, Medi the Mediterranean uh, area, especially the Middle Eastern area. They were probably date trees palms, palms from date trees, which are all over and are still all over Jerusalem to this day. They would have taken those, they would have waved them as celebration, as a celebration of victory. Another thing that they would have done, and this was also very interesting to Jewish people, 
uh, particularly uh, reminiscent of the kingdom of, of, of Israel, which really at this point is non-existent, um, they represented some sense of Jewish national, nationalistic pride. That somehow it associated their Jewish nas- nationalism, they associated that with the palms. And so here are Jewish people, as Jesus is coming into the city, waving their palms, really celebrating their Jewishness. I would say it like this, we do this too, um, whether it's our soldiers returning home and or a president or some other uh, significant day where we celebrate the greatness of America or the history of America and, our, and, and we inspire our nationalistic pride, we wave American flags. So the palms are like that as well. But here's really where the palms get significant, although both of those things could be reasons why some of the people were there waving those, uh, these palms. Really, the text indicates a much more significant reason as to why the palms are being waved. Not only did they take branches of palms and went out to meet Jesus, verse 13, they cried out, Hosanna, which we sang in every one of our songs except for the last one. It's a transliteration. That's a transliteration of an ancient Hebrew word which basically means God, save now. What do they need salvation from? And we're going to talk a little bit about, the minute, about that in a minute. But it says, it goes on, and then they quote a passage of Scripture. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. See, here's the other thing that you need to know about the palms. The palms, not only were they an association of the nationalism of, Jewish, of, of the Jewish people, of their kingdom, but they had also been associated with the messianic expectations. And what I mean by that is the Jewish people had been at this point in, uh, under foreign rule for some 500 years. And they had, they had been under foreign rule of multiple empires at this point. They were currently under the foreign rule of the Roman Empire. And things were really bleak. The Roman Empire had such control. It was, it was a huge empire at this point. It was very powerful and it was growing. And the reason it's so significant for the Jewish people is the Jewish people were the chosen people of God, Jehovah, the one true God. And their kingdom, their, their authority in the, in the region of Palestine was directly associated with God's special promise for them. And so for 500 years, they were under Roman oppression. And, for, and because of that, the people felt in many ways abandoned by God, um, not blessed by God anymore. To be, to be most specific, their identity as a special people was, was specifically associated in their minds with the fact that there was a king on the throne ruling over a kingdom in that region of the world. And to have a foreign king ruling their land was horrible. Not only was it horrible, but all of the things that go with that were there too. People oppressed, abused, exploited, all of those things. And this is what's more significant about it. For 500 years, for some at least 400 years, and before that, there had been the promise that although the people were under foreign rule, God was going to choose a king from the line of David who would come and who would rescue them. And so the people 
were expecting Jesus to be this Messiah. See, because Jesus had gone around for three and a half years, he had been healing, the, he had been healing people, he had been promising a kingdom. And this passage goes on and it says, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, which the other passages, by the way, the other texts, the other gospels, actually point out that Jesus intentionally told his disciples to get a donkey for me to ride on. And so they got a donkey. And so he's riding on this donkey as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus intentionally sat on a donkey, rode in, uh, on a donkey, and the people knew that this was one of the many promises that were associated with the coming king. And so these people are waving these palms because they are fully thinking Jesus is their coming Messiah who is going to, he's their coming king who's about to rally a movement, which by the way, for the last three and a half years, hundreds of people have started to follow Jesus around. And so they are thinking that this is the perfect opportunity, the Passover, when people from all around the world and all around the greater Palestinian region, all the Jews are coming to the city. And this is the perfect opportunity for him to rally the people, for him to unite the religious elite, and for him to overthrow the, Rome, the ruling Roman class. And so they wave their palms, expecting this is the moment our king has come. Hosanna, Hosanna, God, save now. Let's read our text a little bit more. We'll talk more about the significance of that. So verse 16, listen to this. His disciples did not understand these things at first, We'll talk about that in a minute. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things that were written about him and that, he had done, that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him uh, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. So there was people riding along in the city, people riding along in the city who were actually, this is awesome, they were actually riding along and they were... Uh, they were going along saying, hey, this is the guy that rose Jesus, Lazarus from the dead. I mean, they were just talking about all of these things. It was an incredible moment. And then in the midst of that, here are the Pharisees. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that, they are, that, that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. See, there's, there's the people who are expecting that Jesus is the Messiah. They're the ones waving these palms. And then there's another group there. There's the, there's the Pharisees. They had their ideas of what the Messiah was supposed to be, and they had already at this point concluded that Jesus was not the promised Messiah. And therefore, they had actually been trying for the longest time to figure out how to stop Jesus from growing this, this movement. I think they were afraid that, in fact, Jesus was going to rally the people at this point. And they knew that since he wasn't the promised Messiah, this would, not, this would not end well. Because this had happened multiple times before when somebody else came saying that they were the Messiah of God. And they would rally people at this point. And then the Roman oppression would come and kill all those people and kill that guy too. And so I think... The Pharisees had good intentions to some degree and were very much trying to stop this, this false messiah from creating a revolution that was going to end the way the revolutions before had ended. And this is what they're saying. Listen, you are accomplishing nothing. They've been trying at this point to stop this. And now they're seeing the people rallying. They're seeing these crowds of people waving the palm branches and they know the significance of why the palm branches are being waved. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who came out to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
And Philip came and told Andrew, and in, turn, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now these Greeks, they probably weren't necessarily Greeks from, from, uh, from, the, uh, from the region of Greece. This was a common way of describing anybody who was, who was a non-Jew, um, who uh, was, was basically Roman in culture. Um, and they were, uh, these people particularly, they had come to celebrate and worship at the feast, which means that they had been, um, they had been people who, who had chosen to worship the Jewish God, even though they weren't born uh, into Judaism by birth and they weren't um, Jewish by heritage. They had decided that they were going to worship the Jewish God. And so they are here and they're another group and they seem to be wanting to know who this Jesus is and what this Jesus is all about. Maybe they have some idea about this special Messiah of the Jewish people. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're enamored with the signs that Jesus has done and they want to see him, but this is what happens next. And this is so important that you see this, catch this, in the moment when the Greeks come, those who are not Jewish by heritage want to see Jesus. This is what Jesus says next, verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so remember, there's people right now hearing them. This is probably, he's probably, he's probably at the temple at this point or close to the temple. If he is in the temple, he's in the part of the temple that Gentiles were allowed to be in because they weren't allowed to get that close to the, uh, to the center of the temple because that was a very holy place. But there was a region called, uh, essentially called the Gate of, of the Gentiles, and it was really technically not the temple, but they allowed them in that area, and that would have been as close as they could have gotten. So maybe that's where they were, and maybe that's where Jesus is saying these things. And there, he says, now the hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. And remember, these people had just welcomed Jesus in and they're probably still there doing this. They're like, yes, Son of Man glorified. Awesome, yeah, it's coming. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. What's he talking about? He who loves his wife will lose it and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. Yeah, let's go. Um, but if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. All right, yeah, I'm in with that. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Can you imagine some of the people might have stopped waving their palms at this point. Kind of just stood there a little confused. Maybe they said to their friend next to them, what's he saying? Then a voice from heaven came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by it heard and said that it had thundered. That's weird. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said to them, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Again, maybe the people are like, yeah, ruler of the world's going to be cast out. All right, let's wave it. Yeah, it's coming. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. I imagine right here is where the people put their palms down. And then there was a murmur across the crowd. Verse 33 says this, this he said signifying by, why, by what death he would die. And a bunch of questions must have come across the cloud, crowd. They must have heard, this, this doesn't sound like the inauguration speech of a king, does it? 
This doesn't sound like the speech of a, of a man trying to rally a group of revolutionaries, does it? This doesn't sound like a man who is ready to take the throne of Jerusalem, unite the religious elite, and overthrow the ruling class of Rome, does it? Sounds like a man who's afraid. Afraid of what? To die. And the people, I think, caught it. This he said, signifying what death he would die, and the people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. So somebody must have said it, multiple people probably said it, and then someone close enough to him said, hey, we know the, that the Messiah, he's supposed to come and he's gonna stay here. You're saying you're gonna leave. And right here in this question, the Son of Man, why do you say, how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And I wonder if a couple people at that point had already concluded this isn't the Messiah. There must be someone else. Who is the Son of Man that you're saying is going to come and leave? This is not the Messiah that I know is supposed to come. Then Jesus answered them and said, A little while longer the light is with you. While, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of of light. And Jesus starts talking like this and teaching in the temple that day, leaves and returns to Bethany, comes back the next day, does the same thing, leaves, comes back. And as the week goes on, I imagine the palms started to remain on the ground. Because as the week goes on, Jesus does not speak in a way that rallies the people's support. He does not speak in a way that unites the religious elite under him. As a matter of fact, the more Jesus teaches in the temple, the more angry the religious elite get and the more direct they get at confronting Jesus. So as the week goes on, I'm not sure. It's clear that the crowds don't leave him. But the tone of the crowds change. And this is the significance, if I may, of the palms. See, the palms represent a moment of mistaken identity. See, the people of this time were expecting the promised Messiah, but their promised Messiah, in their mind, was God's chosen one who would rescue them from the Roman oppression. And so by the end of the week, they realize that Jesus is not going to rescue them from their Roman oppression. Jesus, the Pharisees end up seeing that the people end up losing interest. And eventually the Pharisees catch this. And what do they do? They see an opportunity and they get Jesus arrested and they bring him, they bring him under Roman uh, imprisonment and they bring him before a trial by the governor of the Roman, uh, of the Roman uh, Empire in uh, occupying Jerusalem at that time. And before Pilate, the religious elite yell, crucify him, crucify him, mock him, proving that he's not their chosen Messiah. And the people there must have finally realized, if they didn't before, that here is, here is this man who we thought was the chosen one, who is going to rescue us from the Roman oppression. But he hasn't united the religious elite. They hate him. 
And now he hasn't united us to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's imprisoned by him, by them. And so the palms are gone, and instead the fingers are up, and they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And you want to know why that's significant for you and I? Because these palms, these palms are a warning. That's what today is significant for you and I. These palms are, are, are a warning that you and I, just like these people had mistaken who Jesus really was, and as a result of that, they had expected Jesus to do certain things that he was not going to do, they, they rejected him. And that's significant for you and I because you and I can mistake who Jesus is. And our response to Jesus is the most important thing that we could ever do in our lives. See, the people were expecting the Roman government to, uh, were expecting Jesus rather to overthrow the Roman oppression. They were asking God to save them, but what they didn't realize is that they needed to be saved spiritually, primarily. Jesus, in the text, it goes on and it says, it says, it says that Jesus is saying, listen, I am coming to be lifted up and to die. And verse 16, if we go back to verse 16, it says that the disciples did not understand these things at first. See, because even the disciples were expecting going in that this was the moment when they were going to, uh, when they were going to overthrow the Roman oppression and the kingdom was going to be ushered in and Israel was going to be restored to its glory. As a matter of fact, Jesus had said three times before that, at least three occasions before, told his disciples, listen, I'm going into Jerusalem during the Passover feast. Things aren't going to go well. The, the, the religious elite are going to accuse me. I'm going to die on the cross, but three days later I'm going to rise from the dead. And they didn't get that. As a matter of fact, one disciple went so far as to say, Jesus, listen, stop talking about that. That's not what's going to happen. You're going to go in and things are going to go great. We're going to overthrow the kingdom and it's going to be awesome. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Get behind me. Get out of my way. You're keeping me from doing what I'm supposed to do. See, the people didn't understand that the real oppression, the real need that they had was a spiritual oppression. Every person that was there before and up to this point has a sin problem. We don't love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And as a result, we, we, we choose to serve ourselves and to do things we know aren't, aren't what would be best for us, and we don't do things that we know we should. Um, if we have any idea who God is, we even disobey what we know God might want us to do or don't do what we know we should do. That's sin. Um, and as a result, every one of us is earning something. The scriptures say that as a result, that, that the wages, what we're earning is death. And that's a spiritual death. What that means is when we die, God is holy and perfect and just. And our sin is going to be enough to punish us to an eternity in hell. Separated from the God who loves us and who we were made for because we have willfully chosen not to obey him. And our sin will keep us from being in the presence of a perfect and holy God. And so Jesus was the chosen Messiah, but he was chosen to come and to die for our sins. Not just the sins of the people, but for our sins. And that's why these palms are so significant. These palms are so significant because you and I have the opportunity to not miss out on knowing Jesus for who he really is. If I could boil it down like this, you and I, we, we have this capacity to regularly misunderstand who people is. So don't misunderstand this today. Jesus, whatever Jesus might be to you, if I could boil it down like this, and I'm cool with saying it this way because I don't know where you're at right now, 
But whatever you might think about Jesus, this is the one non-negotiable when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. That's it. Wherever else you want to go, however else you want to do it, if you don't start there, whatever Jesus is to you, he's going to disappoint you. However you follow Jesus, it's not going to end well. If you don't understand that Jesus is the Savior, and what I mean by that is that you understand that when he went to Jerusalem that week, when he ended that week dying on the cross, he died on the cross bearing the penalty for your sins, an eternal weight of of wrath an eternal weight of wrath. When he died on the cross, he died for your sins. And if you don't start there, recognizing that Jesus died for the penalty of your sins and that he is the Savior, whatever else Jesus might be to you, you're not gonna, it's, it's, it's really, it's gonna be disappointing. Because to be honest, what we have is we have a moment where people thought Jesus was something that he wasn't and he didn't do what they expected and as a result, it didn't end well. So don't miss that today. Don't miss that today. Whatever Jesus is to you, if he is, if he is your Savior, today we're going to take communion. Today you're going to have the opportunity to take the palm branches home with you. And maybe today what I would encourage you to do is if you have made Jesus your Savior, if you had to, have decided, which by the way, you need to decide to do that, that's really the question today is who is Jesus to you? When you take these palm branches and you have already decided that Jesus is your Savior and received him as your Savior, then today this is an opportunity for you to remember. Remember the mercies that God has presented to you when he did send his son whom he chose to bore your sins, the penalty of your sins on the cross. And as we take communion, it will be your opportunity to remember not only that Jesus is your Savior, but then to reflect upon all the things that Jesus is beyond, if I could say it that way, as reverently as possible, beyond being your Savior. And maybe it'll be an opportunity for you to reflect upon that in worship, and then wherever you're at with God to respond to him in whatever way you need to. Um, but if you're not, if, if, if this is maybe the first time for you that you've heard that Jesus is the Savior and you understood that that means that he saved you, from the penalty of your sins, or he's provided the payment to save you from the penalty of your sins. Maybe you're coming back to church for whatever reason, and you're trying to walk with God, and you're saying, man, I'm I'm here, I'm trying to do this Christian thing, Um, I'm I'm interested, but right now I'm just, I'm totally not, I'm not totally clear on that, maybe I'm not ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. I want to put it this way, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. Really happy you're here. I want to encourage you to keep coming. Walt is going to talk even further about this on Easter Sunday, about how Jesus has saved you, has provided the opportunity, rather, to save you, has provided the sufficient payment for your sins on the cross. And I'm happy you're here. But if you are here right now and you're saying, wow, I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss this opportunity because that's the significance of this moment. These palms represent a moment when people misunderstood who Jesus was and as a result expected Jesus to do something that he would not do. Do not misunderstand this. Jesus is the Savior. He has come to die for the penalty of your sins. And this is who he is. And you have the opportunity to make the best decision of your life, the most important decision in your life that you ever could. And so this is your opportunity. And this moment to trust Christ as your Savior. And to do that by recognizing that you have sin, that he's died on the cross for your sin, paying the penalty for your sin, and choosing to call upon him to save you. So 
I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'd like you to bow your heads right now. And we're going to pray and then we'll close out and then take communion. If you are here and you're saying, yeah, I, I, I see that I have the opportunity to make Jesus my Savior today. Um, if that's you, if that's you, I, I just want to be clear that, that it's really basic. You just tell God that you want to do that. I'll lead you in a prayer to do that right now. Uh, repeat this after me. You don't have to do it out loud. Just do it in your heart. Father, I know that I have sinned. And I know that that means that if I die like this, I'll go to hell. I'm going to say that to him. I believe Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. Say that. Jesus, save me now and become my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer and you believe that with all your heart, that Jesus did die on the cross paying the penalty for your sins, I just want you to do something. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just want to invite you to raise your hand and just let me know because I want to pray for you. That's what I want to do. I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you to do anything else than that. I see that hand. Is there any? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Any others? Any others? I thank you. I'm just going to pray for you. Father, I thank you right now for, for these four people who have chosen to see Jesus for who he is, their Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for them. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Father, I pray for these people that their hearts would be encouraged today, that they would choose to now live their lives for Jesus, getting to know him better, excited to know more about who he is. And that, Father, if we have any part to play in that, we're excited to be a part of that too. So, Father, I pray against the enemy's work to try and discourage them of their decision they made today. I am so grateful for what you've done, Father. And Father, I just pray for my fellow brothers and sisters here today as we remember the moment that Jesus came into the city to get ready to die for our sins. And I pray we wouldn't take that lightly today. As we get ready to take the elements, I pray that you'd unite our hearts um, and, and just gratitude to you, Jesus. I pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask the men to come up. We're going to take communion now. And as we do, um, as we prepare for that, I just want to say a few things about communion. First and foremost, communion is an incredibly cool moment where we get to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's kind of cool. Um, if you trusted Christ today as your Savior, I just want to invite you, if you're not sure about this and you're not comfortable with it, that's fine. But I do want to tell you that, that this is for Christians. And so if you, became, if you trusted Christ as your Savior today, you became a Christian. And, and that means this is open to you to take. And so we invite you to do that.
The bread and the cup, they represent Christ's death and resurrect, uh, death on the cross. And, and next week we're going to celebrate his resurrection. But to do that, we're going to take these elements. Let me pass them out to each of you gentlemen. One for you and one for you, Matt. Thank you. And to go ahead and pass those boys. Um, and as you do, I'll just talk a little bit more about them. So first and foremost, um, they are a symbol. Uh, when I pray for these things, they don't become the body and blood of Jesus. Um, we do this because Jesus told us to do this, and we do this because I think Jesus uses this as an opportunity to bring us back to the significance of what happened when he died on the cross. He died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he bore the penalty for our sins, and he also freed us from the controlling power of sin. And so that's an incredible moment. And so I just want to give you now, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking. I want to give you the opportunity. For you that are Christians here, the opportunity for application of this sermon is right now. If Jesus is your Savior, that's awesome. Remember this incredible sacrifice he's made for you. And I would let, encourage you to do some business with God right now. Just about who else Jesus really is. Jesus did come into Jerusalem as a, as a king. He is king, king of an incredible kingdom that's way bigger than, 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 a, than, a, than a, a territory of land in the Middle Eastern region. He's the king of the world. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of your heart. Are you living like he's your king? So I'd encourage you to take some time and just reflect. And this is what I want to leave one thing with you. Jesus isn't looking for perfection. What he's looking for is for hearts that want him. After breaking, after breaking the bread, uh, he lifted a cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Um, and so let's pray. Father, thank you again for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for not only giving up your body to receive the penalty of our sins and free us from the power of sins, but pouring out your blood to cleanse us and wash us pure as snow. Before you, it's as though we have never sinned. So we thank you so much for that, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray, guys, and after that you'll be dismissed. Thanks for coming. Father, thank you again once more for this uh, just great day to remember how you had been orchestrating for hundreds and thousands of years the moment when our coming Savior would come to the point of dying on a cross for us to free us from the power and the penalty of sin. So we worship this Jesus now. We worship you free, forgiven. God, I pray um, as we leave here today, um, our hearts would be desiring to walk with you um, following our King, Jesus.